Hello and welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Steph Fairbairn. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from coaches working across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. This episode, I speak to Jason Collinsworth. Having previously coached at youth clubs and the Elite Clubs National League, at development academies, and as an assistant at D1 level, Jason is now fully focused on his own training company, Playmaker Training. Playmaker's focus is on individual coaching, which aims to develop more confident soccer players that want the ball. I caught up with Jason to talk about why confident soccer players are so important and how we as coaches can go about developing them. Jason, welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. Thanks for having me. No, it's, it's really great to have you. Just to get started, could you tell the listeners a bit about you and your coaching journey? Uh, my coaching journey started back in the state of Michigan, uh, where I kind of tried to climb through the ranks from youth club to ECNL to develop the U.S. Development Academy to Division I uh, college assistant. And the building of my resume actually led me to where I'm at now. It's Buffalo, New York. And what originally brought me out here was to work with the Western New York Flash of the NWSL, uh, who is now the North Carolina Courage. And since my time in Buffalo, I have started my own training company uh, that focuses on technical repetition, confidence, overall confidence with players and just opened up my own facility in February of 2021. So I'm about a year and a half in of owning and operating my own training facility as well. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's the short version. (laughs) No, that's perfect. And that, I guess that's what we want to talk about today is is confidence and players that are confident and, and want the ball and, my first question is why is that why do you think that's so important? Because if you're confident, you can play with a freedom on the field where you know you're not afraid to make a mistake and you're also you also know what you're capable of. And I think a lot of players' lack of confidence comes from not knowing what they're truly capable of. Like, can I hit this ball? you know, 45 yards, 60 yards. Can I take the shot? Can I take this player one-on-one? And I think confidence comes from knowing what you can do and what you can't do. And I feel that what's lacking in some team training environments is that it's so possession-based, it's so team-based that players don't really know what their true skill level is. They don't know how good they are. So that's kind of like the void that we try to fill with our with playmaker training. Yeah, so how do you go about filling that void then? Uh, we offer about 10 drop-in training classes per week. Uh, and it goes from age specific. We work on weak foot training, or I, we call it ugly foot training, uh, shooting and finishing. And we're just gonna, we're just about to start a winger training, but our biggest draw is private one-on-one and small group sessions. And it's just technical repetition 
doing the same things over and over and over again so that a player just really, you know, gets a ton of reps, you know, at the various skills, whether it's passing into a net, hitting a target or finishing, finishing on goal. And then I guess what you just said about players understanding their strengths and then maybe what they're not so good at, how much are you then building on the strengths and how much are you trying to, I guess, improve on what they're not so good at? Uh, you, you have to do both. You absolutely have to do both. And what, what I try to do with my staff is if you see something that's super good, call it out. If you see something bad, also call it out and maybe just give them, you know, a certain tip of maybe you get away with your left foot there and not, you're not the outside of your right foot stuff like that but it has to there has to be constant feedback to some of these players especially in a 1v like a one-on-one or small group session these players have to have constant feedback and not necessarily telling them how to do something or what to do just giving them feedback on what they just did you know if something was brilliant tell them that it was brilliant you know i think again when you have when you're working with 18 players and there's one coach some things go unnoticed, some things, you know, and your eyes are there and then something great is happening over there. And then the players are like, well, why doesn't he ever talk to me? You know, and that's kind of where we have an advantage in the small settings, if that makes sense. No, it does, but I'm, I'm wondering as well how coaches that are coaching with those big groups, how they can be more aware of that and um, I guess look to bring some of that confidence building into, into their practice. I think when, it, when we're talking team training and team coaching, I always say that I rate coaches or I can judge coaches by how they coach their best players. Now, if their best players can get away with murder, making mistakes, making poor decisions, uh, sometimes a lack of effort, the entire team sees that. And then when the coach goes after, let's say player number 11's lack of focus effort, well, you call me out, why don't you call her? And it goes both ways. It absolutely goes both ways that you have to try to coach everybody. It's hard to say the same, but again, you have to, you have to, really give feedback to every single player on the field. And I've been around environments where only three players are coached or only the bottom players are coached or all only the top five players are coached and everybody else is kind of like thrown to the side where you have to try to coach every single player. Like every player, I believe that every player's name should be said at least a few times in every session. If a player is leaving a session and I don't think I had one coaching point from the coach, it's a big problem. Our sessions kind of turn into therapy sessions for some of these players, especially the older ones. And when players feel invisible, if you feel invisible as a human, how is your confidence? Right. And sometimes again, with all the, the topic of confidence, feel it too often coaches put an entire player's self-worth and what they can do on the soccer field. 
and that also just can destroy confidence because if they have a bad game, then they feel like their entire life is bad, you know, and it's, it's so complicated. It's such a complicated issue. And every coach, you know, has a different way of doing it, but that's just my biggest gripe is not every player is treated the same or not, not treated the same, but treated fairly and have and held to the same standard and held to the same um, standards. And I always believe in like, okay, it's not what you preach is what you tolerate. Well, you preach one thing and you tolerate something from player number three, but not number 17. And that's just always gotten to me. But also you can't coach to the bottom of your roster either. That's the hardest thing about coaching. One of the hardest things about coaching. I suppose if we're leaving that stuff unchecked as well, do you think that breeds space for comparison among the players and, um, and therefore can also impact their confidence even further? A hundred percent. Absolutely. I think in some of these environments, constant comparison is going on constant. And especially in the ages of maybe 13 to 15, I think it actually starts with parents. I think it's the, it's what the parents say on the car ride home about other players on the team. And I think that affects what a player will think of their teammates. And with these massive clubs now, there is no team chemistry or team bonding because they all go to 10 different high schools. We're a long way away from everybody on, you know, our local team all comes from one or two schools. That doesn't happen anymore. So these kids aren't really friends off the field. Now there's exceptions, but it's not the standard anymore. And it's upsetting. And then like the comparison and clicks. So I'm in Western New York and there's a massive club and we have, or they have players from Buffalo, Rochester, New York, all the way to Syracuse, New York, which is two hours away. And then Erie, Pennsylvania, which is you know, an hour away. And so not only are they not close, but there's clicks and they don't ever like the Erie players will stick to the Erie players. The Rochester players will stick with the Rochester and the Buffalo will stick with the Buffalo. And it's just sad to see sometimes. Well, I suppose that can impact. I'm, I'm interested because before you used the word mistake. Um, and I guess I'm interested in, first of all, what you define as a mistake, but then is it about creating safe spaces to make those mistakes in and to learn from them? Is that, is that how you see it? Yes. I had a player in that's only been training with us for about a month. She's a high-level player, plays in a high-level league, uh, you know, nationally. And she was so nervous her first session because she thought that she was going to get yelled at if she tripped over the ball, had a bad touch, you know, had a bad, like incomplete pass. And her mom had a conversation with her mom uh, last week. And she said she loves coming because she doesn't feel like she's going to get judged when she makes a mistake. And I think that is one of the biggest things is 
these when these players feel like they're being judged after every single mistake, how scared are they going to be on the ball? And this goes back. It's not just a new thing. This is this is going back since I started coaching 20 years ago that there are some coaches out there that put the fear of God into their players every time that they come in contact with the ball. And how is that going to breed confident soccer players? It, it, it can't. I, I don't think so. But to answer your question, like, what is a mistake? There's decision-making mistakes and there's technical mistakes. And I always, in a team setting, I would say, I would always say, I can accept tactical mistakes and decision-making mistakes. I can't really accept technical mistakes because if, a te- if you have a technical mistake, you can clean it up really quick. But if you don't clean it up really quick, then we're going to have a problem. But you got to explain like what you, what you're saying to them. You know what I mean? Instead of just saying that was a terrible touch, get off the field. Which some of these players tell me that their coaches are like. If you feel like you're you're on a short leash and you can only make two or three mistakes, you're probably going to make two or three mistakes and get pulled. Do you think then? You've had to, I guess, how much work have you had to do on yourself as a coach to maybe to get into that mindset? Because we, as humans, we're often set up to win, right? We're, we're set up to, to want to win. Have you had to really think about some of that and undo some of that? It's taken a lot because I used to be the other person. I think it's in the space that I'm working in now. Now I have no club affiliation. I'm not, I don't coach teams anymore. Uh, and really just get to just work with the individual player. Everybody preaches that their player first, but are they true? Uh, too often the, the coaches will put the club first or the team first or the team win or where's our standing? How many players are talking to colleges? How many are, are recruited and, and going to play D1? That's not putting the player first. That's putting the coach first because they get the clout of, you know, oh, we have 200 players going to Division One. Yeah, that's great. But how many play those full four years? Anybody talk about that? I talk to parents, I think, a lot more than I did when I was in the club environment. And I think that's helped me change because they can, like, side with both sides. And then I love it when a parent comes up to me and says, well, I just emailed the coach, but, and I said this. And I'm like, just would you have come to me first? Because I know this coach is just going to delete the email and not reply. Or he's going to lose it. You know what I mean? But whatever. That's neither here nor there. But it's taken some time. And it's taken like me changing my role from being a team coach and a club coach and that level to really just focusing on the player first and, and just only like, okay, are you getting better? Is your confidence growing or, or, you know, diminishing stuff like that? What advice might you have then for someone that might be at the start of that, that journey and, and trying to get to a truly player first approach? I would make sure they remember that these are kids, that these are kids They're developing humans. They're not adults. They don't see the game like like you. Even if you're a a young coach, 22, 23, 24, coming out, 
they're not going to see the game like you because you have so much more experience playing. There's coaches my age that are, you know, late 30s, early 40s, and they say something very broad that a coach would pick up on, like, oh, he's he or she's telling her to go or do this. But when you're talking to a 13-year-old kid, they have no idea what you're talking about. Prime example is when you're talking to a winger and a coach says, tuck in, you're too wide. And then the ball goes away. And then three minutes later, that same player is now tucked in. And the, and the coach goes, hey, you're tucked in too much. Get wide. It's like, you just told me to get, you just told me to tuck in. It's like, you gotta, it's cliche, but you got to teach the why of everything that you're trying to teach them. And that's a, that's a very hard thing to do when you're dealing with 18 different players. Because there's so, there's so much nuance to soccer, and it's hard to be that nuanced with 18 different players. And I think that's part of what's so hard about making sure that every player feels coached, every single player leaves training with a coaching point. And it could be, a, it could be something that you need to work on. If a player leaves a session knowing, I got to work on this, that's only going to help them Oh, at least I know, but there's some players that leave a session. They don't know what they need to work on. They don't know what they did good. They're just walking away being like, I have no idea what, you know, she thinks of me as a player. And I think it's just constant feedback and just developing a relationship with these people or with at least the players, you know, and treating them like, again, like they're human, but they're not just a soccer player. That's, that's the biggest thing. No, I, I think that's great. And this is this is a bit more of a speculative question, but I guess in your opinion, do you think fundamentally the way we're set up to coach and the number of coaches we have, do you think that needs to change? I think the entire system needs to change. And in terms of coaching, I wouldn't say that there's too much. I just think that there's not enough mentors. There's not enough... There's not enough leadership in these clubs to make sure that they're, everything is going on in their club, that everything is like on the same page. I have, there's a, there's a local club that on the boys' side, they have to keep 16 players per roster. But on the girls' side, it's 20, 22, up to 24. Okay, that's, is that a club or is that just a collection of teams or what? Is there a standard? I have a player torn ACL, her coach said, no matter what, you get your spot back, no matter what, when you get back. I have another player who's been out for a year after a broken leg and then a broken foot, or a broken leg, broken foot, then a broken arm. Been out, just kid can't catch a break. Same club, he gets moved down to the second team without playing a game in at least seven months, eight months. It's like, okay, where is, where is the standard? What is the standard? Is it a, there's no, I think it starts with finding a mentor. And now everybody chases badges and coaching licenses and all of that because they think that is the resume builder. That's not the resume builder. I think it's who you work with is the resume builder personally. 
And I think that there's just not enough mentors or there's not enough coaches that are willing to be mentors. There's, I know of another coach that took over a team mid season from another coach in their club. This is also the owner of the club. He tells the players that if he took over, he tells them, you don't know anything about soccer. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you everything that you need to know. He said that. I have like five different accounts of saying of, of him saying this. It's like, wait a minute. What did you just say about your staff? What did you just say about your other coach? Why, why do you employ that coach if, they, if the players that you're inheriting know nothing about soccer? And this is the owner of the club saying that. Got a big problem. And there's just a lack of leadership, but there's a lack of leadership nationwide. Why do we have, why do we have three different youth governing bodies? Why, why do we have U.S. club soccer? Why do we have U.S. youth soccer? And then why do we have the United States Soccer Federation? Does England have, England has the FA. Then do they have, do they have other competing youth organizations? Does, does France? I don't think so. They might, but it's probably different tiers. It's probably different, way different levels. But we have in this country, we're talking about, oh, ECNL is the best. Nope. MLS next is the best. Nope. USU soccer is the best. Nobody knows because they can't get, get they don't get to play each other to actually prove like who's the best. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Why isn't every single player in the United States under one umbrella, under one system, have promotion and relegation throughout. And then eventually, let's say one club in Buffalo is in the top tier and the, the next best is in the seventh tier. Eventually, those clubs might meet up. If the one falls and the seven climbs, okay, then we have, you know, development because you're trying to climb that ladder. Right now, it's just like, no, I'm the best. No, you're the best. No. But it's not all negative. I mean, like, just just this past weekend, we had a local 05 girl that plays for the big-time local club here. She's an 05, playing with, the, with FC Buffalo, who's in the UWS, and she tore it up. And, that, and she tore it up. She scored two goals. She had an assist. And this is a 16-, 17-year-old kid playing with women and tearing it up. And that, that, there's a positive too. And it's not all negative. Most of the neg- negative stuff comes from adults, I believe. I don't, like, it could be parents. It could be coaches. It could be administrators. We just, sometimes we forget about it. It's, it's about the kids. And when we're too wrapped up in our own ego, myself included. Look, I want to, yeah, final question. I kind of want to loop us keep that in mind and loop us back around to what we what we started talking about I think say you walk up to a soccer field it's a team you've never you've never seen play before you're watching the players what would make you go wow that's a confident happy player what what would they be doing to you know to yeah I guess for you to know that they are they're a confident player I I always liked when a player does something great and then follows it up with a mistake. And then they can just 
laugh, not laugh it off. Like it doesn't matter, but just like play carefree, not always just, just play without looking over your shoulder. Oh, did coach see that up oh, did dad see that, you know, did mom see that stuff like that. That's what I, that's what I want to see. Um, players that communicate. I think confidence, I we always tell, because we're, in our drop-in sessions, we get a lot of kids that don't work together. They, they don't know each other. They'll meet for the first time. I'm looking for the player that knows everybody's name within the first 20 minutes. And so when you're, call, when you're working on passing or something like that, you're calling out their name. And then you're like, whoa, do you know her? Do you know Kendall? How, how did you call out her name? And I'm like, no, I just met her like 10 minutes ago. That can stand out. You know, and like you don't have to see anything brilliant on the ball to hear, okay, that's a confident player because that's leadership. That's obviously having a plan. If you're calling somebody's name, you know what I'm saying? Just just little stuff like that. But there's not there's not like one skill that I'm looking for. It's just just the freedom. The freedom of not making a mistake, the freedom of I'm going to go at you and I'm going to do it again and again and again, or you're not going to beat me. You know, if you're a center back and just so calm and confident, that's, that's actually where, where it is. It's calmness. Are you calmer? If you're going out, if you're going to goal, who's, who's usually calmer, the goalkeeper or the player about to strike the ball? Usually it's the goalkeeper. I try to tell, you know, our, our forwards that we work with, you got to be calmer than the goalkeeper. And if you're calmer than the goalkeeper, you're probably more confident than the goalkeeper. Just stuff like that. That was the voice of Jason Collinsworth. Thanks to Jason for his time and insight. And thanks to you for listening to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. For more from us, join us again next time or visit soccercoachweekly.net for practice plans, advice, interviews, and much more. I'm Steph Fairburn. See you again soon.